In episode 54 of MobyCast, John and Chris teach a primer on DNS and explain exactly what happens when you type a URL into the browser. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about cloud-native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. Good to be back. Good to talk to you. So what have you been up to this week? Yeah, I'm recovering from the jet lag from the epic trip down to Brazil last week. So 30, <laughs> 32 hours of travel each way. Ouch. Um, yeah. The humble brag, though. That <laughs> <laughs> was poor me. I was in Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's it's so ironic though, right? Like four days in Brazil and thirty-two hours on either side of that traveling. So it almost True. ends up being a wash, right? It's a it's yeah, like a one yeah. for one. So right, I paid exactly. I paid for it. You did, you did. So me too. I'm trying to recover from being in Brazil. I'm it's kind of funny because that trip motivates me after I see the team and you know, get excited about our futures, but it also exhausts me. So I come back motivated with no energy to do anything. But here we are. Next week, the motivation is going to really kick in. But one of the things we talked about while we were down there was, you know, we did a lot of lessons with the team, just kind of, we decided this year to go over some fundamentals because, you know, the better you are with fundamentals at any sport, including software programming, the better you are. So we decided to turn back to some fundamentals and just brush up on some things that, you know, many people might never have really delved into and others not since, you know, college courses kind of thing. So one of the things we talked about a lot was networking. And I think today, you know, we talked about it for a whole day. So we won't do that to you, our listener. will, <laughs> our one listener, we'll keep it short and we'll do one little piece of the networking overall talk we did today. And this might be the beginning of a series sort of a series on networking where we get into the fundamentals of networking and then some specifics around networking within AWS because that's that, that's just super fun stuff. So that's the trajectory probably for the next few episodes unless something major happens that we have to do a special report on like we did with some of the open source shenanigans that happened recently. So today we'll talk about DNS. What happens when you type in www.kelsis.com? Go ahead and type it in now into your browser. We'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so what happens? And that, that's what we're going to cover today. And maybe, Chris, you can you can kind of kick us off and get us started with that answer to that question. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's so as you mentioned, you know, we, we had a, a bunch of technical content training for the, for the team while we were at during a retreat in, in Brazil. And one of those days was all about networking. And as you mentioned, lots of stuff to cover there. But DNS is definitely one of the fundamental pieces. And so kind of just thinking about the idea of like, you know, what happens like when you type in a URL, like how does your browser know where to go? You know, what what are really the mechanics there that's happening? And it it's probably a lot more involved than most people realize. It's pretty interesting. So with that today, we could just kind of like walk walk through that flow to help demystify it a little bit and just give everyone a better understanding of just how does DNS work? And so maybe to just start off with, at a high level, like, so DNS, it's an acronym that stands for domain name system. And really what it is, I mean, DNS was created for us, for uh, people, because, you know, when yeah, the internet, computers don't need it, they're they, fine without it. Well, not only do they not need it, but they don't want it, right? It's not, right. it's not very, it's not very efficient. So, you know, when the beginnings of the internet, when networking started happening, right, you have 
physical cards and network interface cards at the end of the day these everything with a network interface card ended up having an address um and like ip addresses right so this is call it ipv4 so it's a dotted ip address you know four four components to it and you know everyone's probably obviously seen these things so you know 192.32.33.255 right or two or two two thirty two um two fifty five is actually a special one we won't use that one yeah but you know that's the address right and so when when all this first started right that's what that's what people were doing they were connecting to one of these addresses and you know once there's there started to be more than a handful of of machines on a network people realize pretty quickly like this does not work right i can't remember all these dotted things or i've put them in a notebook somewhere and, and just like i'm manually keeping track of oh that's john's server or that's 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 larry's server or that's susan's server so this concept of keeping track of like giving these friendly names to these addresses was was the start of it and this was just a simple text file it's actually you know, a host file. So it was a kind of like a, a very small directory in a text file that gave a mapping between a friendly name and the actual address it was. So this allowed folks then to be able to type in that friendly name so they could type, type in like John and that resolved to John's IP address and likewise Susan Susan's IP address. So that was the, the beginning of it. Right, and that host file lived on Unix systems, at least under the slash Etsy slash hosts in that file. And, yeah. and the the funny, interesting thing is that it continues to exist today. And not only yeah. does it exist today, but as we'll find out, it's actually the first, it's still very much part of the process and the lookup process. So it's it's still the, the, first, the first link in that chain of events that happens when something goes to resolve a host name to to an actual uh, to an actual address and so so essentially that so that's what dns is basically the phone book of the internet right it's the you can go look up something by name and it gives you its address and this is how at the end of, you know computers are figuring out like given a friendly name what other machine do i what machine do i connect to where do i send my packets to right exactly and so the the host file doesn't really scale you can't have all of the ip addresses on the internet in your host file and keep them up to date with where you know what names they go with so people had to come up with another way and you know one of the things i love about dns is that the way that they came up with was a protocol that anybody could participate in it wasn't a company that came along and said we're gonna handle routing of names on the internet and just send us your money and we'll send you the ip addresses when you give us a name that's kind of how we, we we've ended up and that's kind of where we are now in a way because that's how it was designed and you any Anybody can still play. So we still have a protocol. Anybody can still stand up a DNS server. And I think that's the next the next part of this journey that we have to talk about. What's what's a DNS server and what do they do? Right. Yeah. So, so just to touch on that, like again, it is kind of interesting. DNS is one of those fundamental early protocols that comprise the backbone of the internet. So this has been around for, you know, since the early days, the inception, right? So it's just like things like mail, SMTP, the the kind of like the core protocols, these things have been around a while. They have their own limitations. They have issues with with trust and security, and we might talk a little bit about that as we as we discuss this. But but yeah, I mean, so DNS at the end of the day, client server architecture. So you have servers, DNS servers that are managing the records that they're responsible for. 
And then you have clients or resolvers that query those servers to get the records. So it's basically just making a query saying, hey, this is the address. This is the name I'm looking for. Do you have its address? And it's either going to respond back like, yes, it does have it, or it will perhaps refer them to some other server that's it's 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 walking down a, a, a chain of, of hierarchy so there's this kind of like parent child relationship as you move through the through the dots of the of the url right so that you can think of dns as a hierarchy where you know at the very top you have like root and then you have the the top level domains like com or net or org and then underneath that you have the the next level domains so things like yahoo.com or or Kelsis.com type thing. So there's a there's a there's a hierarchy there. But at the end of the day, you have you have the the servers that are managing the the, the files and answering these requests, and then you have the the clients of the resolvers themselves that are issuing these queries to to make lookups. A fun thing that I like to think about is just how both DNS and IP addresses are sort of that that hierarchical thing. And they both enable some scalability. They both enable it so that only a few servers out there need to know and be responsible for all the top-level domains. And then beyond that, they can we can use other servers to deal with the next level. And then beyond that, you know, more and more, more and more servers can play in this. Tell me the IP address for this name game, and that's pretty cool. That it's like. The scalability is built into the protocol. And with IP addresses too, I, we won't talk about how IP routing works, but it's the same basic concept. You know, the IP address is basically a map that tells that tells a computer how to get from here to there. And that's why that's why you don't have to hand somebody an IP address and a map of how to get there. It's it's part of the IP address. So it's pretty cool that they both work in a way that makes them scalable and and usable just at the protocol level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's almost Darwinian, right? Like if they didn't work, we wouldn't be here like talking about these things, right? So it's like, by virtue of the fact that they do work and they are scalable, they've lived on and it and it still works this way. And mm-hmm. the reason why it has been has had so much longevity, which is pretty pretty amazing if you think about it, right? Like when when DNS was first created, like did they really think like there's going to be billions of devices that need that are going to be on this network and and just millions and millions of host names? Maybe, but like it's probably still a lot bigger than they thought. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about DNS servers and and what they do and what they have inside of them. Right. Yeah. So DNS servers are again they they exist to to manage the the names that they that they own, right? The, where they're the authoritative source for, and they can they can host multiple multiple zones. And so you can think of a zone as different levels of a, of a URL. So you can have like a zone file for like api.kelsis.com maybe, or, or and then you might have another one for, for another domain that Kelsis has and whatnot. So it's a way of, of segmenting up your, your namespace. So, but these DNS servers, they can, I think that they're, they register with, with other name servers to say for which domains or which which of these zones they are the authoritative source for, and that's one of the ways that at the end of the, that these requests end up getting routed to them as knowing that this is where they they need to go to make that lookup to find that to find that name. Right. So there's a few servers out there that live inside AWS that are that are saying to the world right now today, 
Hey, I've got Kelsis.com. I've got that one. You want to know where that goes? You ask me, I'll tell you. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So for every for every domain out there, there's there's some registration with it to say like, yes, I am the uh, the authoritative source, the name server for this particular particular domain, whether you're using AWS Route 53 or using something like you know GoDaddy or DNS, whatever DNS, if you're rolling your own or standing up your own server, they all they, they would all work the same way. Hey there, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 30,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. And so for each one of these zones, you're going to have a list of records, and there's various different types of, of DNS records. And so you have things like regular just IP addresses, if you will. So, you know, given a name, what's its IP address that I can connect to? And so that's one type of record. It's That's, that's called an A record. You can also have kind of uh, redirects, pseudonames for records. So you can point something, you can give something a friendly name. So sometimes you might have a less than friendly domain DNS name for something and you want to alias it to to something nicer or easier to remember. And so you can have those kinds of records in there where those are C name records that are basically just, again, just aliases for something else. A nice thing about those, just to interject, is just that they stay what they are. So if you have a C name and you decide you want api.cussels.com to point to, you know, 12345.aws.amazon.com slash something, 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 lots of garbledy good text. When that C name is typed into a browser, the browser keeps the C name. It doesn't switch over to the to the alias. It's it's not transparent. So that's a nice feature of C names. Yeah. And other types of records are for like routing mail. So you have mail transport records, uh, MX records, right? So this tells clients that are sending mail or they need to route mail to say, well, where should this mail be delivered to? There's there's records in DNS for, for dealing with that. So I think that, I mean, DNS very diverse, very capable, um, lots of flexibility. It's really deals with all the traffic on the internet. You know, again, given a name, what's the actual, at the end of the day, what is the IP address that this needs to go to? And that's what it's doing. We have another thing that's pretty important to talk about too, is just like, because this is obviously, this is used constantly, right? Like whenever you're doing, like you're, anytime you're making a, a any kind of network request or whatnot, right? You're probably doing a DNS Look up to say, like, okay, given this 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 host name, what is the IP address? So, in order to increase performance, lots of caching is evolved. And again, caching is really good here because, for the most part, these addresses are not changing very frequently. You know, like even if you have something that you're using something like DH, they're just not changing that frequently. So, caching comes into play heavily. And so you can set TTL um, records, so time to live values on these records, which give guidance on to how long intermediaries are allowed to cache this. So TTLs end up becoming pretty important where you, if you, when, when you are specifying your, if you, if you are setting up DNS and you're, and you have some host names you're adding and whatnot, something just to consider that if it's going to be relatively stable and you don't expect to, to change it very often, 
then you can set it to a higher TTL. But if it's something that, you know, you may, this gets more into just like if you're building out a service and maybe you're going to be changing it from, from one environment to another one and just realize that when you update your DNS server, the updates are not going to propagate immediately. It's going to be based upon whatever your TTL was. So if you have a high TTL, like say it's one day, you're probably going to be unpleasantly surprised to find out that it takes a full day before everyone is now pointing to the to the new the new server because of that caching. So right, and with TTLs, the thing I like to think about is that this, TTLs and caching are why DNS propagation is different for different people and you know in different locations. So you know you change a domain name and you update it maybe on GoDaddy and then you know if you're unfortunate and using GoDaddy. And then you're like, okay, I made the change. Oh, yep, I'm seeing it. Yep, there's the change. And your friend who's on the other side of the world is like, ah, I'm still not seeing it. It just could be because they are hitting a DNS server that cached that address more recently than the one that you are using. So it's always good to assume that some DNS server out there just instant, you know, moments ago cached the address that you're about to change. So you're going to have to wait the entire TTL before everybody's up to date. Exactly. Yeah. So it is definitely one of those things where if you ever do work with DNS and making entries and changing them, like this is something that you become intimately familiar with and you get bitten by it mm-hmm. or, you know, you start running into this, well, it works for me, but not for me, or I see the new page or I don't see the new page type thing. So, so yeah, so it's, it's just definitely something to take into account. And again, if you're planning on changing something, make sure you set it to a, to a low TTL until you know you're stable and then you can increase it to a, to a higher TTL. So then strike that right balance between the flexibility of change versus performance and minimizing your lookups. Right, right. So this is already turning out to be more, you know, complicated to describe than I had expected. It's, oh, it's DNS. It's easy. It's quick, quick protocol. <laughs> and we still have a lot, a lot of things to talk about here. Let's see. I, I think the next thing that we were going to talk about is, did you want to go more into resolvers, Chris? Or did you want to talk about the flow, like sort of the story of, uh, you know, the day in the life of a request from a browser? Mm-hmm. No, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the clients or, or resolvers, if you will, um, you know, they're basically just, hey, I need to talk to some to some name server. So there's a, there's a way of configuring your client, your resolver to, to know what what name server to go talk to. And it's just issuing a query, say, hey, this is the name I'm looking for. Give me a record back. Sometimes if, if the server does have it, it's done. If it doesn't have it, it's going to tell it, like, where's the next Where's the child that you should go talk to and do it? And just so pretty, pretty simple from a from a client standpoint. There's many different types of clients and resolvers. There's standalone. So there's some there's some really useful like command line tools like Dig and NSLOOKUP. You know, your browsers are obviously um, have resolvers and some of those are based upon OS level code. Some have their own custom resolvers. Same thing goes with, you know, server-side software like Nginx as well. So, it, you know, they have, you know, everything, just about just anything that's making connections, right, has to do to your DNS lookup. So, um, And that's, I think that the thing that almost goes without saying, but I'm just going to make it really explicit, is that when you type in www.google.com into your browser, and, and you've, ne- you've never done that before, it's not got a cached IP address or anything that it's ready to use. It's got to go look up that name using, you know, the DNS. Almost, you can almost think of it as a microservice, you know, a, a distributed microservice that gives you back that name. It has to do that whole request before it even starts 
to load the Google page. So it's like everything you ever do is two requests and not just one. And I think that I think that's easy to forget because you just you're like, oh, I'm going to Google, and you just imagine the network traffic. It's like it's going from my computer to Google, getting stuff and coming back. No, 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 it's going to some DNS servers and then coming back, and then going to Google and then coming back. And I just I, I just had to say that really explicitly in case it wasn't clear from what we were talking about already. Yeah, and and probably even more specific, it's not just two requests like that DNS many is actually potentially many requests multiple requests right so how long do they take sometimes sometimes it can take like 60 milliseconds 80 milliseconds yeah I mean it just depends on your network it depends on the name servers and how much traffic they're getting so it could be you know, milliseconds, it could be sometimes, you know, seconds. Yeah, There's, yeah. It's, it's just, you know, making, it's just, just like anything else, it's making a network request, you know, over the internet. So there's very real, real latency there. So I, again, I think the, the kind of like the real takeaway here is like, there's a lot going on in, in order for, for DNS to work. And, and there's, when you do type in that address at the top of your browser bar, you type in google.com, there's, Underneath the covers, there are uh, quite a few steps happening before that page appears inside your browser. Right, and and you mentioned a tool. I think I think it's worth it for anybody who's never done that before, just to go. If you have a Mac, which most of you do, <laughs> I'm just guessing. <laughs> just go to the terminal and type dig space plus trace t r a c e space and then a domain name. It could be www.calsys.com, or or it could be mobicast.fm, or it could be google.com or whatever. And then just look at the look at what comes out. It comes out in steps, and there's a lot of information there, and it's worth checking out because that it starts to uncover the complexity that Chris is talking about. Yeah, so yeah, and that's what that that plus trace option does is that's normally that the 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 intermediate lookups is hidden from you and so you just see the final results and when you put in that plus trace it's actually showing you how resolution happens so it starts at the very top going to the to the root servers of the internet from there it's then going to the the TLD servers for whatever whatever TLD it is for your name so the TLD would be like that if it is it .com is it .net .org there's a whole separate set of servers that just manage just for those and then from there, it can then go and find out, okay, what's the authoritative server for this particular address you're looking for? And so when you have that plus trace option on there, you'll see that. And it just makes it very, very explicit, very clear what's happening there, that there is this, this hierarchy of DNS servers, and it's traversing that to go and, and make it more narrow in scope to, to find the actual information that it's looking for. One of the things that I used to wonder about at the beginning of my career when I thought about DNS is if an A record points to an IP address and, you know, an IP address, address is just a single machine and you've got a really big service like at the time maybe it was Yahoo, how can that single machine handle all that traffic? And I don't know, I honestly don't know when it became possible to, to have multiple A record answers. And I'm not sure it was possible at that point 20 years ago. Um, but now for sure it is possible. So it, it could be it could be that it's been all along, you've been able to say, oh, there's four or five different A record answers. So these four or five different IP addresses can be round robin and they can handle all the traffic. And it's sort of like a DNS style load balancing. But I don't know if that's always been the case. Do you happen to know, Chris? It's been around for a while. It's been at least since the early 90s, okay. um, and perhaps even before then. So having this multi-answer DNS records, it's it's definitely been around for quite some time. And then, of course, now 
you know, we can use things that coupled with things like load balancers. So you can now have a single domain name that at the end of the day may be, be serviced by hundreds of machines behind it. Right, right. So I think we probably need to wrap up here. And you know what we've shortchanged in this conversation is security, which kind of funny. It's kind of ironic that, that that's the part that we didn't get to yet. And it's also a little bit tough because you, our lovely audience, have kind of shown us that your favorite episodes are not the security ones. So maybe we'll try to tuck in some of, some of the security stuff into a future episode, but not do an entire episode on DNS security because I don't, I don't know that that would be what everybody wants. But uh, for what it's worth... There's a bunch of cool stuff in DNS security that we totally want to talk about at some point soon here. Yeah, and and it may be kind of boring or, or not as interesting, but it's actually, it's really important because right. at the end of the day, DNS, like we talked about, it does things like routing of mail. And so if you're able to spoof or be a man in the middle and change the MX record for your for your mail server for some domain, this means it's pretty easy for someone to hijack your mail. So whenever anyone sends you a mail, instead of instead of that mail being forwarded to the server that hosts your mailbox, it goes to some some rogue mailbox. Um, <laughs> and you would never know, like other than people will be like, hey, why aren't you in some emails? You're like, right, I didn't get, right. I didn't get anything. So maybe that's how we can get people to listen to the DNS security episode coming up. Well, it'll be titled something like how to hack DNS and get free stuff from Amazon for life. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And thanks, Chris, for explaining this so well. And I'll talk to you next week. All right. See ya. Bye. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash five four. If you have any questions or additional insights, we encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.